welcome you to turn with me to the next passage in Luke, our series of Luke, and that's Luke 5, 12 through 16. It's the first mention of a leper in the Gospel of Luke. Remember, Christ is our, what did we say, jubilee, right? He is our jubilee. He's the one who has come to free us from sins and from um, consequences of sin. And you see how the whole gospel of Luke shows how Christ is fulfilling that prophecy from Isaiah 61. But we're up to Luke 5, 12 through 16. But as a background to that, I think it's important that we read a little bit from the Old Testament. If you turn with me to Numbers, hold your finger in Luke. If you turn with me to Numbers chapter 5. Numbers chapter 5, 1, 2, 3, and 4. And then Leviticus after that. A couple verses there. This gives us some of the background to the uh, law of the leper. Numbers 5, 1, 2, 3, and 4. Hear God's word. And the Lord, by the way, the title of my chapter 5 says, Ceremonially Unclean Persons Isolated. So these were ceremonial laws. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp, that means the congregation, the Lord's house, every leper, everyone who has a discharge, and whoever becomes defiled by a corpse. You shall put out both male and female. You shall put them outside the camp, that they may not defile their camps in the midst of which I dwell. And the children of Israel did so, <clears throat> and put them outside the camp. As the Lord spoke to Moses, so the children of Israel did. And if you go to Leviticus chapter 13, the book before, one book before, Leviticus 13, Leviticus 13 and 14 deal with the law of the leper. So two extensive chapters. One is, of course, leprosy in those days could be defined as just even uh, simple skin uh, diseases to something that was full-blown leprosy. So there are all kinds of grades of skin diseases that's mentioned here. And in verse 14, anyone who had a cure had to go to the priest, chapter 14, anyone who had was cured, had to go to the priest, and the priest would inspect, would examine, and then pronounce whether that person uh, was clean or not based on whether the disease was gone or that if there was a cure uh, in that person. Okay, so Leviticus 13, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but we'll read 45 and 46, uh, something that the leper had to do. Now the leper on whom the sore is his clothes shall be torn, his head bare, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean, and he shall be unclean. All the days he has a sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean, and he shall dwell alone. That means all by himself. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now we turn to Luke 5, 16 through 21, which is our focus today. 
And today we're also going to answer the question near the end, of course, of the message. How does Christ fulfill the law of a leper? He fulfills all the laws of the Old Testament. How does he fulfill the law of the leper? And the second of all is, how does the law of the leper apply to us today? Not in the same way. We live in the New Testament age of grace. Well, New Testament fulfillment of, of Christ. So how does the law of the leper apply to the church today? But that's a little bit later, but we're going to focus on verses um, 12 through 16 of Luke chapter 5. Read that together. And it happened when Jesus was in a certain city. Behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus, and he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then he put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go show yourself to the priest, make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses commanded. However, the report went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and be healed by him of their infirmities. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. That's our focus. How many of us are really familiar with leprosy? There's really, apparently there's, there's a, a couple. Apparently there's, it's almost eradicated, but there's still large pockets of uh, leprous colonies. I think some of us who come from the Indian continent, continent, or sorry, the country of India, are aware of what leprosy is really like. And apparently there's spongy tumor-like uh, growths on, on the face, right, and the body. And especially, you know, it affects the outer extremities of the arms of the fingers and the toes. Apparently, sometimes it even starts falling off. Okay, it's terribly painful, but also terribly shameful. And without a cure, it's fatal. Worse yet, worse than the, the fact that it's painful, it was, this, it was a sense of rejection and shame that came with it. I mean, in the Bible, right, they had to cry out, unclean, unclean, just so that people would hear that and not even dare get close to them. Apparently six feet, I think of the COVID rules, but anyway, six feet was the distance that they had to stay away from the leper. And if you're really scared, you could go up to 100 feet. So talking about the feeling and the sense of, of isolation, of being all alone, well, the leper in Luke 5, it says he was full of leprosy. And it must be full because Luke is a doctor. He's a physician. And he would have seen it. He would have saw it. And he said, oh, he was full. This man was full of leprosy. And he's seen here dragging himself, just dragging himself along one of the roads in Galilee. Why? Oh, he's here. He's heard that there's Jesus, the one who can, can look, the one that can deal with his, his sickness. And according to the law of Leviticus, he had to live all by himself, sometimes with other lepers, 
but live in isolation from the congregation. This was a, a member of Israel, member of the covenant community, had to live in isolation from the, from the congregation and live outside of the congregation. Lepers like him were not allowed to come close to other people. No contact, no hug, no handshake, no touch. Imagine not being even touched for all those years just by himself. And then on top of that, he looked unsightly, wearing torn clothes, his mouth partly covered, his mustache, his head bare, and just simply unclean. Oh, he would yell that out. He would have to yell that out. Unclean! Unclean! But there's more here. In the Bible, leprosy, and we should get this really clear. Leprosy was a picture, is also a picture of man's spiritual condition. You could say spiritual leprosy. It's a, it's a, the pollution of sin. Leprosy itself was not a sin. It's a consequence of sin. It's one of the miseries of sin. But leprosy itself was not a sin, just as any other disease in itself is not a sin. But there are consequences that come from sin, right, uh, in general. But leprosy is a picture in the Bible also. It was real, no doubt, but it was also a picture of uncleanness. So in the law of the leper in Leviticus 13, 14, God wanted his people to learn. He made these laws because he wanted them to learn to distinguish the clean from the unclean, the holy from what is holy. Again and again, you read Leviticus, I am the Lord your God. I am holy. You must be holy. There was a sense where they had to be aware of the, the holiness of God. And one way was was discerning the differences between unclean and, un and clean through the ceremonial laws of clean and unclean. What the Lord wanted to do was to impress his people, Israel, and impress upon his people, Israel, that he is holy and therefore there is no place for sin in the fellowship of his people. No place for sin. Of course, you know, that was then. It applies differently to us today now that Christ has fulfilled the law of leprosy, the law of the leper. But understanding this background, what is happening here in Luke chapter 5? Jesus, the one who fulfills the law of the leper, what does he do? He cleanses, he restores a leper to full fellowship with God's people. They can touch him again. They can embrace him again. They can shake his hand again. He's fully restored. And what we're going to see here, first of all, is a leper's courage, his courage of faith. His courage, we'll see, second of all, Jesus' compassion, verse 14, and then his charge, his charge in verses 15 through 16. Verse 12, the leper's courage. You know, we see the courage of a leper, the courage of his faith, you could say, in a number of ways. Think of this, at least three ways. Maybe you could think of other ways in which you see the courage of his faith. And that's something very, very um, instructive for us as well. But he's such an example to how, he, uh, how the Lord would want us to live out our faith as well. But notice, 
Lepers, because they were isolated, you think they were ever allowed to enter into cities? Never. They were not allowed to enter into cities. And yet, he is. He is going to the city, even though he's not allowed to. But you see that in desperation, with his misery, he goes forward in faith because he knows there's one in the city that he needs to meet. The leper has heard about Jesus, and he's heard something wonderful about him. He's heard about something about his salvation that he brings, and the one who heals all our diseases. And rumor has come to him that Jesus is in one of those cities. He doesn't tell us what city he's in. Now, nothing is going to stop him. Faith overcomes. Nothing is going to stop him from doing what he needs. What does he need? He needs cleansing. That's the word that pastor uses here. He needs cleansing, forgiveness, washing, clearing away of dirt, the pollution. That's what he needs. He would not allow, you know, no entry permitted. He would not allow that to stop him. He would not allow that to be an obstacle to his faith in Christ. That's the first thing. Second thing, think about how terrible his condition is. You know, lepers would tend to say, ah, forget it. There's no hope for me. But this man was at probably at the bottom of the, of the ladder in terms of he was unable to do probably hardly anything anymore, being full of leprosy. He might think, you know what? Look at my condition. It's too late. I mean, why would, why would this door be open? All the doors to me have been closed, doors to my family, doors to my business, to any business. Why would this one door be open? And yet, it's the good news of Jesus Christ that compels him that draws him to hobble, to limp away, and even slowly drag himself on one of those roads of Galilee just to see Jesus. You know, sometimes it's hard for us to get out of bed on a Sunday morning. But boy, he took minutes and hours just to hobble on that road just to see Jesus. His faith drew him because Jesus was drawing this unsightly man to him. That's what's really what's going on. It's Jesus that's drawing him because Jesus has something to reveal to all of us about how he fulfills the law of the leper. So that's the second thing. His, his terrible condition doesn't stop him. He overcomes by faith. And the third thing, wait a minute. Is there a six-foot distance between him and Jesus when he comes? Hardly. As a matter of fact, he broke all the pro, he broke he broke he broke all the rules of protocol for the lepers, and he comes close enough to Jesus to fall on his face before him. And he says, "Unclean, unclean." Is that what he says? He was supposed to. He doesn't say unclean, unclean. No, Lord, if you are willing, you can cleanse me. It's more than just healing. I think it's more than just healing of leprosy that he's looking at, the disease. There's more. He saw in Jesus something more. You can make me clean. You notice here, does he doubt Jesus' ability? You can. 
make me clean. He doesn't doubt Jesus' ability for a second. Even for him, even for him in his wretched condition, he says, if he's willing, right? He's humble enough to acknowledge that he doesn't deserve it. But if he's willing, I know he can do this for me. What an example of living faith this leper is to us, isn't he? Because sometimes I think we can look at our sinful condition, the sins in our lives, and we get really, really down. And we see how weighty sin can be. We see how it can just continue to, to uh, weigh us down in so many different ways. And perhaps we think, well, Jesus wouldn't want me anymore. I don't know if I should go to him anymore. Sometimes maybe people make such a pattern of their sin. You know, maybe they'll say, I've made such a pattern for my sin. It's too late anyway. Just, you know, I'm caught in a pattern. There's, there's really no way out. But you know what? All of that is pride. It's pride. We need the grace of God. Like this leper received. You look at his condition. We need the grace of God like he did to humble ourselves and say, yes, Lord, you can, if you're willing. You can cleanse. Believe. Believe. He can cleanse. You're caught in a pattern. He can cleanse. He can pull you out of that. He can cleanse. He can restore. In his words, if you are willing, you see the leper sincerely confessing, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. If you are willing. I mean, he's the king of heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ. The one who's with the Father from all eternity. Come in human flesh. If you are willing. He was cast out. This leper. Cast out of fellowship. Cast out of the camp. Living all by himself. And yet the Bible says that he who comes to Jesus. He will by no means cast out. Does this man understand that? All his promises are yours. Think of the promise of cleansing, restoration, life. Don't doubt his word. This man showed his faith. Of course, the Lord drew him, gave him that. It was a gift of faith. But you see what the Lord can do. Never doubt. You know, the lepers, the lepers stopped obeying the leprosy laws even before he was made whole. He says, regardless of the leprosy laws, I know he can do this. He believed. Jesus, we know, saw the leper's faith. And how does Jesus respond? Ooh, get away from me. No. Jesus didn't say that. This man knew. He had heard about Jesus. Yeah, but look how gross he is. Look how terrible he is. Look how wretched. Oh, it's gross. No. Verse 13. I think compassion is the exact right word for this sentence. He put out his hand and he touched him. No one ever touched a leper. This is a, it must have been very painful to be touched after all those years to be touched. And by one who is the sovereign from heaven, God of God, light of light, to come down for the purpose of even touching 
this man. Immediately, it says, Jesus says, I am willing, be cleansed. You know, those are some of the most powerful words in scripture. I am willing, be cleansed. That's, that's a command here. It's in the form of a command. Be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. Wow. <coughs> it's safe to say that, it's safe to say nobody but lepers had touched this man for years. Jesus did what no man would ever do. Stretching out his hand. Maybe man was a little bit away, so he had to stretch out a little bit. Say, come, Beta, come, son. And he touches him. No less from him who was from the side of the Father, the side of the Father from all eternity, him whom God sent into the world. In Romans 8, verse 3 says, In the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin, what did he do? He condemns sin in the flesh. Okay? Uh, he condemns sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law may be fulfilled in us. Christ came to fulfill that requirement of the law so that we could experience that restoration. Jesus touched the leper. See his love, his compassion, his healing touch. No sinner is so bad that he say, I can't go to him. I can't. No, he says, come. You see the power of his touch. Literally says, I'm willing, be cleansed. What a powerful command. He speaks with authority here. Be cleansed. You see the togetherness of his, of his, uh, his divine love, how his divine love is there with his divine power. Be cleansed. And you see the powerful effect of his word, such as the effect of his word. Immediately, listen to this, immediately the leprosy left him. This man, so full of leprosy, next minute, not a speck, not a speck of leprosy left in him. You know, those who make spurious claims that they have this gift of healing, let them be like Jesus. No, only Jesus can do this. Only Jesus. You know, there is healing power in his touch. It's the call is always to go to Jesus. There's healing power in his touch because he was and he's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He is able to sympathize. This high priest, he's the one who comes close to all who come to him in faith. Maybe some of you have heard of the Gaithers. It's a music group from the past, old, old times. They have a song called, He Touched Me. I think, I wonder if it comes from this, this uh, miracle. But it goes like this. Shackled by a heavy burden, neath a load of guilt and shame, then the hand of Jesus touched me, and I am no longer the same. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And all oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know. He touched me, and he made me whole. He touched me. You know, 
Another example in scripture where you see the power of touch. Think of the moving picture of parents bringing their children to Jesus in Mark 10. For what purpose? It says there that he might touch them. What an encouragement to parents. And baptism, that's exactly what God does. Baptism of children, the baptism of children, God touches them. They need to know his love, his compassion, his tender care. Because we know the truth of scripture that even our children are born by nature outside the camp. Sinful, corrupt, fully polluted. And God comes down and he says to the covenant children, children of bleeding parents, I'm touching you. That touch is so powerful. And he assures, he assures them that the promises of cleansing, of salvation, also belongs to them through faith, of course. They need to receive that by faith. Witness in this cleansing how Christ reconciles the man to himself, a man who had a living death, living in absolute isolation, now experiencing that joy of restoration, wholeness, and in fellowship in Jesus and with others in the congregation of Israel in that day. Isolation, reconciliation, restoration. Wow. How does he acknowledge Jesus? Lord. He's the Lord of his life. He's the one who did this for me. Now I'm going to live for him as Lord in my life. And that's why Jesus gives a twofold command here. He gives a twofold command. You see his charge here. Okay, I did this for you. Now you obey me. Right? That's, and, he, and the beautiful thing is, we know he also gives the spirit for that. Look at verse 14. He charged them to tell no one, but go show yourself to the priest, make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses commanded. He was to go show himself to the priest according to the laws of Le Leviticus 14. And so the question here, of course, is why does Jesus send him to the priest? Why? I mean, isn't Jesus sufficient? Isn't Jesus sufficient? Isn't he the great high priest? I mean, it's kind of like the climax, and then you have to do something that's far less. Well, why does Jesus send him there? He could have said, Jesus could have said, I'm the great high priest. I pronounced you clean. You don't need to go. But Jesus doesn't do that. Why not? I think there's two reasons here. First of all, Jesus didn't come to annul or, yeah, to annul the law of leprosy. He came to fulfill it. There's a difference because it still applies today, but in a different form, in different ways. He came to fulfill it. Jesus, the lawgiver, says Romans, says Galatians 4, was born under the law. He had not yet fulfilled this law through his death on the cross and through his resurrection from the dead on the third day. And therefore, you see Christ in our place being obedient to the law, obeying the, the law 
of the leper also in Leviticus 14 by sending him to the priest in Jerusalem to show himself to the priest so the priest may examine him, pronounce him clean, and then offer an offering of thanks to the Lord. That's one reason. The second reason, I think, why he had to go to the priest is that the priest would never be able to say, oh, so Jesus neglects the law. He can do what he wants. Everyone else has to obey the law, but Jesus neglects the law which Moses gave us. Rather, the priest should see what had happened. And then the priest should face the real question. Is he who cleansed them? Is he not the Christ? Is he not the one whom God has sent? As a matter of fact, Jesus says, go there as a testimony to them, to the priests in the temple, as a testimony. It's a testimony of what Christ did for him. He went. But why did Jesus command him not to tell anyone? doesn't tell us why. I think the likely reason is that the crowds would misunderstand why Jesus came. Like today, many people see Jesus only as a miracle worker, a medicine man. Sad, it's true. People go to Jesus just for the miracles or to get their medicine or their health. But what about for their salvation? The mediator, he's a mediator between a holy God and sinful people. That's what Jesus wanted to reveal himself there. You see, you see the immediate response of crowds coming. No doubt some of them coming with different reasons, different motives, sinful motives. And Jesus' response, he had to withdraw from them. He was tempted, no doubt, by being in a popularity contest. He had to withdraw himself and pray. Jesus came to reconcile. He came as mediator between God and man. Now the two questions. How does Jesus fulfill the law of leprosy in Leviticus 13? Who went outside the camp for us? Jesus did. Jesus did. Hebrews 13, 12. Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, where did he suffer? Outside the gate, on the cross, outside the camp, outside of Jerusalem, on the cross itself. We need, we need cleansing from our sin. And that cleansing comes through Christ, who alone paid the full price for the sin of his people. Yes, yeah, spiritual lepers. So we are. And we need that cleansing. Restoration, belonging, fellowship, eternal life is ours through repentance and faith in Christ. So he fulfills it by going outside the camp, in our place. He suffers rejection, forsakenness of God, so that we might forever be accepted and brought into the, the camp, into the congregation, into the house of the Lord. Seeing that he has done that, seeing that he has fulfilled the law of the leper, how does, the, how does he apply this law to the church today? You know, we never say God, we always say that with respect to the Old Testament laws, ceremonial laws, Christ fulfilled them. How does he fulfill that? We saw that. But how does that, how does that apply today? Not in the same way. We may touch lepers today. There's no law against it. 
maybe there's health concerns about it, but there's no law against it. Well, first, I think there's two ways, briefly. First, think of the fellowship around the Lord's Supper, the Lord's table. It's an intimate time of fellowship between Christ and his people. Each time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, Jesus gives us, always gives an invitation to come. But he also gives a warning. And that's to the members of the congregation. An invitation to come and a warning. You know, in our forum, we hear these words. For all who live in rebellion against God and in unbelief, this holy food and drink will only bring your further condemnation. If you do not yet confess Jesus Christ and seek to live under his gracious reign, then it says, we admonish you to abstain. We admonish you to isolate yourself. That's what sin does. When, one, when there's unrepentant sin, we're admonished to isolate ourselves. He's holy God. He cannot dwell in a camp where there's sin. And so he's given us his spirit today, the spirit whom Christ has poured upon the church, so that we don't need these external laws but that law has been written in our hearts so that we can discern even within ourselves. If sin stands in the way, if it's unconfessed, if it's unrepentant, abstain. Isolate yourself. So there's individual responsibility at Lord's Supper. Sometimes the elders will say to somebody, to a member in the congregation, no, we, we call you now to abstain from the table because this is um, God, God commands that we come to him in a way that's worthy. Not, we don't, we're not saying that we're not unworthy, but worthy in the sense of that we've come as forgiven sinners to the table. But you notice here, he says, but all who repent and believe are invited to the sacred meal, not because you're worthy in yourself, but because you're clothed in Christ's perfect righteousness. You know, we need to be cleansed. And we need to be cleansed. We need to be forgiven. We need to be restored. But that cleansing is also ongoing, isn't it? We need to be continually repentant of our sin and trusting the Lord Jesus Christ, turning away from it. Okay, that's why there's both the invitation and the warning, right? Sometimes, yeah, sometimes members isolate themselves from the table. And sometimes they're asked to isolate themselves from the table. Excommunication, which you saw a couple weeks ago, from the body or fellowship of Christ is the extreme form of being put outside the camp. Okay, second thing, as members belonging to Christ, be on guard against the pollution of sin in our own lives. It's powerful. It deforms. It works against the the, the, the Spirit's work to, God, to have us become more and more like Jesus in our lives. God is holy. There is no acceptable place for sin in the fellowship of his people. Remember the words of Paul to Ephesians? In, ch in chapter 5, verse 5, Apostle Paul warns, For this you know, he says it to the congregation, no fornicator, unclean person, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Therefore, do not be partakers of that. Okay, very clear. Does that mean we never sin? Of course we sin, but how do we 
deal with our sin. Are we repentant? Do we come to Christ for washing? Yes. But he's talking about those who are habitual, who don't turn away. To the church of Corinth, he says, Therefore, come out from among them. Be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I am a father to you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. You know, the risen Lord Jesus Christ has poured out his spirit on the church so that we can spiritually discern clean and unclean, the holy from unholy. More than that, he has given his spirit who enables us by his power to obey Christ. He's the one who is at work in us, giving us courage, the courage to come to Christ in faith, to see Christ's compassion, and to obey his charge. To God be the glory for his work of grace, and we can always depend on his work of grace in us. Amen.